0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash FilmDaily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily
1: for Wednesday, July 14th, 2021 on today's episode we're gonna have a spoiler-filled discussion about Loki episode 6 for all time always this is Slash Home editorial director Peter Soretta, and joining me on this podcast is Slash Home weekend editor and senior writer Brad Oman hey that's me so there's a lot to talk about in this episode but before we get to that let's talk about uh, let's go into our feedback section which is things that happened since last week. A lot of the, your emails like, were theories that either came true or not, or didn't come true. So I'm not going to read those this week, but I do want to talk about a, a couple of things that we published on slashfilm.com since last week that uh, we didn't point out last week on the podcast. And first of which is that secret Chris Hemsworth cameo. Do you want to tell us about that?
2: Sure. Um, So one of the cool things that happened last week uh, amongst the many Easter eggs that we saw in the void uh, in the fifth episode of Loki uh, was a quick shot of Frog Thor or Throg uh, trapped in a jar amongst the debris near uh, the three Loki uh, layer that we saw. And interestingly enough, Ah, uh, Chris Hemsworth actually recorded the the audio of Throg screaming as he jumped and tried to break out of the jar. So they recorded new dialogue, uh, or I, I don't know if you call it dialogue <laughs> since it's just a scream, um, but of Chris Hemsworth, and then obviously you know manipulated so it sounded a little more small and high pitched, uh, and used that in the show.
1: I mean, I'm sure they recorded this while they were making the next Thor movie, but it seems ridiculous to me that they actually like wasted chris hemsworth's time to well, do that, that when when they probably have him screaming somewhere in the marvel sound archives right they could have just had the scream and then put that like you know that uh you move the knobs and the whatever people do in audio to like make things sound high-pitched
2: <laughs> i'm sure the audio department appreciates us talking, <laughs> talking about their jobs like you know moving the knobs or whatever um uh, yes. but but well but actually i think why this makes sense is uh it's Likely that he didn't record just like variations of this screen because we also found out uh, that there was actually a different scene altogether that would have given us Frog Thor in Loki much sooner. Um, uh, one of the producers of the show posted on Twitter about how there was a deleted scene from the first episode that would have had a scene played for Loki on the TVA holo projector that showed him getting beat up by Frog Thor in some some kind of you know uh, previous life alternate timeline what what have you uh, and so i imagine that since they shot that scene and intended it to be in the first episode that they probably had chris hemsworth record actual dialogue for that moment and then they probably either had that from this or they just had they uh recorded it because they knew maybe this was going to happen later in that that episode as well so it probably wasn't just for that one scream
1: good point good point um, and, you know, every week on the podcast, we usually have the segment where it's Peter is wrong, where I, I said something incorrectly or I made a over the top uh, bit of speculation that didn't turn out to be true. But but this week, we're turning it over to you, Brad. It's a segment is now called Brad is wrong.
2: Yeah, Brad is way, way wrong. Um, so we, we talked about another Easter egg on the previous episode where Stark Tower or Avengers Tower, or whatever you want to call it, as it appears in the void, uh, had the name Kang on the, the tower instead of Stark, which is a reference to uh, Kang Enterprises from Marvel Comics. That's uh, Q-E-N-G. And it's a company that buys uh, Stark Tower, Avengers Tower in the comics. And initially I said, it's just a coincidence that there's no ties to Kang the Conqueror. Uh, and that's because when I was reading about Kang uh, Enterprises in the comics, it didn't mention in this particular Marvel wiki, what have you entry, that that company's CEO, Mr. Gryphon, is also an alternate version of Kang the Conqueror. So in reality, Kang <laughs> Enterprises has everything to do with Kang the Conqueror, and I was completely wrong about that.
1: Yeah, and n- normally that wouldn't be a big thing, but like this whole season we've been speculating that Kang would be the one behind all of this, and it turns out, unlike Mephisto, this one turned out to be true. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, before we get into the beat by beat of this episode, let's, uh, let's start with our brief thoughts. I'll go first this time. And I'll say that last week I said that I really didn't know how they were going to resolve everything in 45 minutes. And now we know the answer they didn't need to because there's additional seasons. Uh, and uh, on one hand, I, I, I do understand that some people probably think that this episode is exposition heavy. But for me, this is like Marvel finally sticking the landing. And by the way, it's a small landing. Like that landing pad, that's, it's not like one of those big runways. This is like one of those small runways. And I, I, I was just, I was waiting for this episode to devolve into like mindless CGI chaos with characters flying, fighting in air with superpowers and, um, you know some kind of light coming up from earth into the heavens. I mean it, it I guess they had the light going sideways this time. But anyways, um it, it didn't happen. Uh, I I really was just riveted from beginning to end and I really feel like this like stuck the landing. And and by the way, I I you know, I love Marvel movies, I love Marvel TV shows. So but you know, one of my big criticisms of of them is the kind of like the third act kind of does usually fall fall apart, even in some of the best of them. So I was excited to see that. I also just love the tension in this episode. It reminds me of some of the like best episodes of Lost, where you don't know where it's going to go. Like you have people giving you these, you know, you have can- or uh, he who remains giving you know these stories and telling you th- like in like every moment i'm like oh my god where is this going to go like how is this going to resolve how is and it's just like a tense on like you know on the edge of your seat wondering how things are going to resolve um i think this show might be in my top 4 or 5 marvel things ever including all the movies like i i really i really love this and i love also how unlike the other marvel shows we've seen so far This really feels to me, at least right now, at this point in time, like it has big implications on the greater MCU as a whole. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, Brad, what are your thoughts on this episode?
2: Yeah, I love this episode. And uh, while I understand some of the complaints out there about this being exposition heavy, somewhat anticlimactic, a lot of setup for the future of the MCU, I think that there is um, a strong emotional core here that stays true to what Loki has always been about, and that's Loki and Sylvie and each of them kind of discovering things about themselves and finding a counterpoint in each other. Um, I wrote a whole article actually about this on Slash from one of the pivotal scenes that obviously we'll talk to you when when we get to it. Um, but I think that there is a lot in the show that is being overshadowed by the ramifications it has for the MCU, which could be a flaw in the episode or, you know, just the yeah. fact that this has to has to deal with the fact that all of these things are interconnected, so that's always going to be a lingering thing that fans focus on. But I think the show does a very good job of resolving the story that began in the first episode involving Loki and then also Sylvie when she was introduced in the second episode. Uh, because their their arc and what happens to them as characters i think is uh packs quite an emotional punch for both of them um and in some ways i think is you know just kind of a, a a bigger thing for the mcu than just teasing the the future of what's to come in the other movies and tv shows
1: do you think a more casual fan that isn't like you know reading slash film and listening to this podcast every week that didn't know about kang and probably still doesn't know about kang because this episode never says the word kang in the entire episode and doesn't know, you know, Doctor Strange is going to be about multiverses of madness and Spider-Man's going to have all the you know, we'll talk about all that stuff later. Do you think that person, I guess the the person I'm imagining is Kitra's mom who's only only uh only knowledge of the MCU as at all is she watched WandaVision and this. She hasn't oh, wow. watched the movies. Yeah, and she she loves them. Uh and I guess it's going kind to of, I think she's gonna watch the movies now, but I wonder if like that person, like, do they even does it even occur to them how this is like setting? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, is this a a more satisfying ending for them because they don't see the flags planted in you know the outfield? That's fair. Yeah, no. Um, just, Just what I'm thinking, but I'm also you know we're we're both firmly planted on the field of. Speculation and living in this, I don't know how to think outside of the bubble that we are in. Uh, and anything else you want to say about the episode before we get into it?
2: Uh, no, just, just I love it, and I agree with your sentiment too. This is, this is definitely one of my favorite Marvel things ever, and I think it will definitely rank uh, among the top movies uh, from the MCU that I love.
1: Yeah. So I love how this episode opens. It like has the usual Marvel logo but we hear sounds and moments in all of the Marvel from all the like not all the Marvel films well maybe it is all the Marvel films we hear like some some great big moments from a bunch of them and then it like all kind of goes together on top of each other so maybe maybe they do have something from every single Marvel movie here You, you did in your breakdown of the Easter eggs you actually like pulled some of these apart right
2: no I mean they're they're mostly just like the little quick dialogue snippets from all the movies in the the MCU, I would say the one interesting thing about how it's framed, and I'm not necessarily sure what the intention is um, or like how to, to perceive this, but like when that sequence happens, we zoom out of like our universe where the MCU is and we hear all the Marvel dialogue. And then we, we hear some real world figures as, as well. Um, People like Neil Armstrong and Greta Thunberg. Uh, But then we, when we zoom all the way out and we kind of see the universe from outside of the universe. Then we suddenly see a sec- what seems like a second universe that, that we then zoom into. And that's when we hear uh, classic Loki saying glorious purpose and uh, visions line about um, grief being love persevering. And then a couple real world dialogue snippets from like Maya Angelou before we get into the, where we see the timeline and then we see where the Citadel is and um, that he who remains is that Sylvia and Loki are standing outside of. And so I'm not sure if this is meant to signify that there's like a separate universe outside of the rest of the Marvel cinematic universe because of where like the TVA is or something like that. Um, I I really don't know uh, because it seems, seems weird to visualize it um, like that. Uh, So it
1: also did this weird thing where it zoomed in to like this big bang of sorts before it pulled out to the second universe, so I, I don't know what it means, I really don't,
2: yeah. And there's also, uh, if someone wants to try and figure this out, we're gonna see if we can dig into it ourselves. Um, as we're pulling out of our universe, uh, after you see a satellite go across the screen, there's a, ver- a very quick shot of some kind of spaceship that flies towards the camera, and it's but it's never. Detailed enough when you freeze frame to try and see anything that uh, it doesn't look like any ship we've seen in the MCU before, as far as we can tell. So, if there's anything that you can figure out out there, let us know. But otherwise, we're going to see if we can talk to some people to find out what that ship is if it's like an intentional Easter egg that's something for the future or a, a callback or something like that.
1: Yeah, I did a bunch of searching on that to prepare for this podcast and I couldn't find anybody that actually had an answer. It seems like it's, it seems like right now that it's something that we have not seen so far, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't be like an Easter egg for the future.
2: Yeah, because like like Pixar puts, you know, characters or uh, things from future movies in the previous movie, you know, all the time that you don't know until you've seen the next movie. So.
1: So, so basically what you're saying, Brad, is this is the the ship of the Fantastic Four, right?
2: Hey, that's, you know, as good a theory as any.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did want to bring up that you can hear a song in that opening. You, see, you hear the song that... Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter dance to an yes. end game. Yeah, so uh, that's a cool little pull there. Um, okay, so <laughs> we we see this. Uh, it pulls out of this this beam of light that is going from left to right, and it is revealed that that band of light that crosses the sky behind the citadel of time or at the end of time is actually time itself and bread. I'm going to say this because I'm going to pat myself in the back here. I called that last week. You did? So, yes. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Uh, I, I love how this whole sequence is kind of like very Men in Black-like. Like that uh, – what was it? The ending of the original Men in Black? Or was it the beginning of Men in Black? I oh, don't even Yeah,
2: yeah. It's the very end where like you zoom out and like you see that the galaxy is like yeah. a, a marble that where there's a bunch of other marbles that have galaxies in them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so um, it, it felt a little – the only thing that felt a little weird to me is like having moments like Visions, Love, Persevering line like intercut between moments from world history like having like Nelson Mandela and stuff. <laughs> um, But yeah, I get it. Okay, so we reveal that the castle or the house we saw from the end of last week's episode is actually on top of this weird asteroid-looking rock that actually has a hole in the center. It's floating and, uh, so, oh, and the other thing that's notable here, and I'm not sure, if this, I don't think it's going to come into play at all, but I think it's interesting in the way that they've conceived upon time. So time isn't just a thing that's going from left to right, but it looks like it's a band that is circling the Citadel. Yeah. goes around. So does that mean in, in Marvel's interpretation of time, does time like continue on back into its beginning does that make sense
2: yeah i get what you're saying i i think it's more so just like because this is supposed to be the end of time yeah 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 so i think that yeah i'm not sure. it's yeah
1: <laughs> i know this is not going to come into play but i like <laughs> thinking about those things because i'm sure someone in the art department thought about those things um, so we have this gothic style mansion that has these golden slashes all over it. it's like uh, veins and marble. Um, what do you think again because the art department doesn't just make these choices willy-nilly they don't just pick things be like oh it'd be cool if they had this gold slashes all over the house uh, they probably had some kind of intention do, do you have any theories on why there's all these gold slashes everywhere
2: I don't actually, you know, I, I was wondering that like when I saw, it, cause it's, it's almost like gold lightning or marble cracks throughout the, the entire house. And you even see it on his, um, his like little wrist device that he, he uses that kind of uh, operates as like, uh, a tempad pad in a, in a way, you know, it allows him to do things with, with time and whatnot. Um, so I, I wasn't really sure exactly what like, what the decision behind that was.
1: Yeah. Um, The the best theory I could come off is it's kind of like representing cracks in the multiverse, probably not, but okay. Uh, so they're nervous to enter this mansion and before they can prepare the doors swing open, Miss minute appears to them and welcomes them to the Citadel at the end of time, which I think is a reference to in the comics, there's a temple at the end of time. So it's kind of, kind of a reference to that. Um, So He Who Remains, who created and controls all, is impressed with them. And uh, in the comics, He Who Remains is actually a different character. It's like this withered old man with yellow skin and no hair. And he first appeared in Thor 245 in 1976. Um, He was the founder and final director of the TVA and uh, the creator of the Timekeeper. So... It's interesting that Marvel, it, they do this a lot where they take stuff from the comics and they kind of combine it into a like uh, a, a merged version of different characters. So you have that, you have Kang, which we'll learn about in a little bit. You have um, Immortus, which is the, the older version of Kang. I think this is like a combination of all three of those. Did you talk about this in your Easter eggs?
2: Yeah because well not in the Easter eggs but I, I mentioned it in our um, in an article we talked we talked about the, the um, this episode and how it like uh, has ramifications for the MCU and kind of broke down how they, they combined yeah he who remains with elements of Kang the Conqueror and then also since it talks about variants and he's this version of Kang. That is like has taken the place of the timekeepers essentially, which is basically what Immortus does in the comics. So yeah, it's it's an amalgamation of of these different characters.
1: Yeah, and MCU is always doing that. They're always making the better version of everything from the comics and combining it into like a more simplified version. Uh, although their simplified versions are becoming very complicated now. Um, I do want to say in the subtitles, in the credits, and the the audio description. Uh, They always call him he who remains. So he's never once in this show called King. But we know that he is King because obviously, like, I mean, if you're a fan of comics, you know, he's King. But also was Kevin Feige announced that he was uh, Jonathan Major playing King?
2: I don't remember if was that something that was announced officially or was that something that came from a trade report?
1: I think it was announced officially somewhere. I don't remember where, though. Anyways, we 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 could circle back on that later. But um I just want to I I just want to mention that just because a lot of people are calling him Kang, and the this episode, even in the credits, is calling him He Who Remains. Um so Miss Minutes offers to insert both Loki variants back into the timeline with Loki beating the Avengers at the Battle of New York, killing Thanos wielding the infinity gauntlet and ruling over asgard and sylvie having an alternate lifetime of happy memories and they could be together on the timeline sounds a little too good to be true brad
2: yeah for sure
1: yeah was there any moment here that you thought maybe they would be tempted
2: um i mean i think that they're ever so briefly tempted as at least loki is um because i think that that sounds like something that's appealing to him in some way, but I think that once, you know, he also hears uh Sylvie's stance on things that he's then he's more firm about not following that.
1: Yeah. I also think it shows his growth as of a character. I feel like at the beginning of the season he would have jumped without even listening to her. Do you know what I mean? Like it like he has grown as a character in this season so much that uh he's he's not, you know, he's not interested in that deal. And also, I, I think we learned later that he who remains is kind of using this as a test of sorts. Like, it, it, I mean, uh, Vanessa Armstrong, who is a uh, writer on Slash Home, uh, she mentioned that kind of uh, he who remains reminded her kind of like a Willy Wonka here. And it almost fe- feels like a, a test. on if, uh, I mean, I guess he already knows what's going to happen anyways, right? <laughs> So is it a test? Um, did, Did you get any Willy Wonka vibes here?
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, especially because he says, you know, that he's been, you know, hoping that someone could, you know, come and essentially take the reins from, you know, him watching over and controlling time because he's just sick of it. He's tired, you know, and so, you know, that combined with him wearing a purple cape and like kind of just his general demeanor being kind of wild and unpredictable, uh, really d- gave off some Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka vibes. Not Johnny yeah. Depp as Willy Wonka vibes.
1: Yeah, kind of flamboyant and theatrical. Um, okay, we'll talk about that in a second. So they tell Miss Minutes that they're going to write their own ending, and she's like, ha, 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 sure, and then disappears. Um, again, the, I think the, the theme of this series, or at least the season, I'm guessing the series, seems to be fate versus free will, and how much can you actually change... Which, uh, actually, that was a a problem that Ben had with this show and this episode, and he wrote a piece for SlashLim.com. I'll link that in the show notes, but he kind of – correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, because uh, I know you you wrote an article kind of not quite responding to this, but giving the other take of it, and you can get into that later. But he's kind of saying he doesn't believe that Loki could change, that he's backstabbed so many people. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, Ben yeah, Ben's post was more of like a uh, an overarching like issue he had while watching uh Loki just in the, because he didn't trust him to actually be sincere uh about anything even when it seemed like he had changed a bit and was reflecting on his position, you know, in the universe and what he does and lamenting that it was a an image and a front that he had to put on, you know? And then even his connection with Sylvie, he was so you know, uh, distrusting of Loki because of how many times he's betrayed people that he he was always thinking that, you know, when is the other shoe going to drop? And then we're going to see, oh, this is all all part of some big scheme, you know, because there's plenty of con movies and things like that, where even when things go wrong, it's, you know, always uh, seen as being according to plan. And it it was always part of, uh, you know, the jig. So, um and then my but my my whole my thing it was which you know i didn't even know ben was writing that when i came up with mine it's just was more so just focusing on the the idea of how you know seeing how loki has has changed but that there is always kind of this um inevitable conclusion that we could draw because loki had fallen in love with a version uh of himself and just how you like it's uh but what we i can get more into this once we actually get to that scene
1: Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I'm going to link all these things in the show notes. So if you want to go read them on Slash Home, you can read them there. But okay, we're going to cut to Ravona's office. She, finally, the data has downloaded to her tempad. Remember last week, she asked for all the files on the creation of the TVA. Well, the files she got were not what she requested. And Miss Minutes says he thinks this will be more than useful. So, and by the way, uh, she's like, he? Um, so she she clearly we we are confirmed confirmed I think now that she does not know who is in charge of the TVA like I know in the comics uh, this character Ravona Rens- Renslayer has a relationship with King the Conqueror but it seems like that's not the case here. What do you think are actually in the files that um that he sent her?
2: I am not sure.
1: you have no theories
2: no that's actually something that like i got got so caught up in everything else that i didn't even think about that
1: (laughs) yeah because i mean that that sends her off at the end of this episode which is going to lead into you know spoiler alert season two um so i'm wondering where it's center well well, okay we can talk about that a little bit more later so I
2: i wonder if it has something to do with uh potentially her character's ties to king the conqueror that come from the comics and that maybe she'll see that there's some kind of relationship between her and he who remains or another variant of Kang the Conqueror that perhaps existed, you know, in like the multiverse before when it, when it still existed.
1: Well, why would he, who remains want to show her that like when he doesn't want, at least from what we're being told from he, who remains, it seems like he does not want Kang the Conqueror to come back and take over.
2: True. Um, Yeah. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um so later Mobius appears knocking on her door. She's not surprised that he was able to escape the void. If anyone could do it, he could do it. Uh, she apologizes for pruning him, saying that he couldn't let or she couldn't let him get in the way of their mission. Even though they're all variants and the timekeepers are fake, uh, she believes it can't be for nothing. So, uh do we think at this point that Ravona Is the person that it feels to me like she's the person that got sucked into like the cult, and she's lived her entire life in this cult, and now that she's being presented with all this evidence of like, you know, the cult is not uh, as good as what she thought it was. She's like, well, I can't give up this mission. I'm unable to, you know, even though, even though the guy that was running it is using deceptive practices and stuff, I still believe. That uh, this material that I've been like, what what we've been doing is, is the legit thing to do. Is that how how you're reading it?
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I I think she's just she's trying to figure things out as well, and she doesn't know everything behind it. Um, and it's clear she's been doing it for a long time too, because she, there's even a a line where she says here, words uh, to Mobius that they have eons of friendship.
1: Yeah. Well, that friendship apparently didn't mean anything. We'll get to that later. (laughs) Uh, She tried to call for help, but he knows her secret and reveals the Franklin D. Roosevelt High School pen, um, which is interesting because when he reveals this to her, I'm like, how would she know about this pen? Well, I mean, the pen was in her office. Okay, well, before we get to that, so the high school is in Fremont, Ohio. It's 2018, and that's where Ravona Prime works as a teacher or principal and this proves to the other minutemen that the tva employees are actual variants i know you did some research and you actually saw her name on the the diploma in the background
2: yeah and it's it's a name that she's used as an alias in marvel comics before
1: okay um so thoughts on this reveal because to me it feels kind of like a bad payoff not that like i i I hate to say that because i feel like a lot of times when people speculate about stuff if they have a speculation in their mind and it's not that, then they're like disappointed. And I don't feel like that's what's going on here with me. I just feel like this pen does, I don't know. It, it feels so weird because why would she even have the pen? Like, I, I guess she knew that she was a variant, right? So like, why would she keep the pen? What is, what do you think?
2: Yeah. I'm not necessarily sure why she'd keep it either. Maybe, you know, if, maybe since if she's aware of her previous life then maybe she keeps it as some kind of, Uh, memento or something like that Um, but I yeah I'm wondering exactly what it is that I don't know that she's she's going to try to figure out after you know having this conversation with Mobius and knowing what she knows you know because obviously she's it's something about trying to figure out whether free will actually exists so is she going to like track down You know, the rest of her variations or maybe maybe the information that she was given had something about like the previous that it's the variants from the previous multiverse that are populating the the TVA or something like that. I don't know. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. I I, I just feel like I'm a little disappointed that the reveal kind of like how I'm disappointed that the jet ski thing didn't pay off in any way I'm guessing you know we have another season we we probably have a couple seasons to pay off on that so um Mobius thinks that TVA need to hear the truth but Ravana thinks it's unnecessary like a necessary lie she believes that there has to be a reason for all this on the other hand Mobius has seen the horror waiting for whoever gets pruned doesn't believe there can be a reason for that. So Ravona says that if they didn't prune the timeline, there'd be chaos and death. But Mobius believes it would be free will. This is like the whole theme of this whole show, I think. And we have this nice scene where Mobius calls Ravona out for betraying her. She def- deflects it back at him and says how he betrayed her. He pleads to her that maybe they can build this into something better together. Um, and uh, Mobius tries to stop Ravana with the baton, but finds himself on his back on the floor because he's not as good as her, or not as fast as her, and she has a chance to prune him, but doesn't take it. So do you you think that relationship still means something to her?
2: Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I don't think that it was ever something that became meaningless to her. Um, You know, I think she's the kind of person that does what she has to do in times of, you know, uh in dire times i guess you could say um and so i think that even though she seems somewhat ruthless about it i i think that there is still some kind of like fondness there for for mobia since they've spent so much time together
1: so she picks up her briefcase and goes to the time door in search of quote free will and uh you know where is she heading i don't i don't know i'm guessing it's gonna be on some adventure that would hopefully try to re, reinstate the the one timeline, the sacred timeline in some way, but I don't know where that would actually bring her. It's going to be, you know what, this this the second season is going to be really interesting because I was expecting this season to have a lot to do with them going to different times and different multiverses and stuff like that, and then it ended up not being that. And I feel like now with, with where this leaves – the the season leaves things off. Second season has a lot of potential to be playing with a bunch of fun like moments we've seen in the past, like almost like what if does, you know, um, and and explore some stuff like that, which would be kind of fun. So Loki and Sylvie enter another room. Golden streaks continue. The room has these almost like uh, stained glass windows and has these big timekeeper like statues. Uh, There's three of them, or actually there's four of them. There's one that's fallen to the ground. Do you have a theory on why one has been destroyed, one of the four timekeeper statues?
2: Yeah, because in in Marvel Comics, um, when the timekeepers were created, there were actually uh, four timekeepers. And so this seems like that's probably that one, but because also in Marvel Comics... Uh, the fourth timekeeper uh, known as the the Oracle of Siwa was apparently banished to ancient Egypt. So this might be a reference to, to that little detail.
1: Hmm. My, my, my other thought or my other question is like, what do you think is the deal with the Citadel? Because it almost feels like it has a more grand purpose. Like, you know, it hasn't seen bright days in many years. There's a moment where Loki comments on the dust that's covering everything. And, You know, there's this elevator that goes up to, uh, goes up to his office at the top. uh, He who arranged office, and it almost feels like a TVA elevator. Like, do you think maybe the original TVA, like when its first days, like took place at the Citadel, or like what was the purpose of the Citadel? Like, it seems like a big place for just him to be doing this thing.
2: Uh, that's a good question. Uh, that's I, I like that theory too. That maybe the TV started off as being this sort of small thing, um, but you know, then again, you know, I feel like villains always have a place that is you know much bigger than the space that they really need. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the same with superheroes too. So like, I think it's just one of those things where it's just a nice stylistic choice that makes the the location and the the events they're in much more for foreboding.
1: Yeah. Okay, so there's the elevator door opens and Jonathan Majors is inside. He has this purple cloak. And uh, I I should say that uh, Immortus also had this like flowing purple robe as well. So that's why people are saying it's kind of like Immortus a little bit. Um, So he's there and he's giddily grinning and excited to see them. Like he has, it, it, it seems to me like he hasn't seen anybody in, many many years like he's been alone uh taking play, uh, t- taking care of the timeline um do you want to recap who king the conqueror is or, or do we even need to do that at episode six of this podcast
2: i don't think so i think we've we've talked enough about king yeah. the conqueror and, and even immortus at this point
1: yeah okay uh so he who remains thinks the situation is wild he's eating an apple uh, you know, first thoughts is like Apple, that's very like Adam and Eve, very biblical. They're, they're kind of playing on religious like elements here. Do you have any theories on why, what's up with the Apple?
2: Uh, so, I mean, the Apple could easily be like a, a reference to biblical uh, metaphors. The, the Apple can represent knowledge. And since, you know, he's imparting this information about the TVA and the timeline uh, and himself to Loki and Sylvie that could easily be representative of that. It's also worth pointing out that um, in Doctor Strange, when he started messing with the Eye of Agam- Agamotto before, um, you know, the Time Stone was so important. Uh, when Doctor Strange was kind of messing with using it to manipulate time, uh, he used an apple to kind of illustrate what he could do. He had uh, the apple; we could see it in, uh, as a whole, and then we could see it. Slowly being like eaten and deteriorating and then rotting, and then he wound it back to its you know beginning state. So maybe there's some kind of connection there since Doctor Strange was messing with time, and he who remains is clearly a sort of master of time. I
1: don't know, Brad. I still think it's Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve were created from the same person, Loki and Sylvie were creating from the same person, and uh, the apple was like the like the forbidden fruit, right? In the Garden of Eden. I don't know. I I don't know how to read this. I just feel like there's some kind of Adam and Eve thing going on here. But, um, okay, so when they ask him if he is he who remains, he's surprised that Miss Minutes is still calling him that. He comments that it's creepy, but he likes it. Uh, And I guess right now is a good time to talk about Jonathan Major's performance. I love how, like, theatrical and flamboyant and... You know, when Jonathan Majors was cast as Kang for Ant Man, Quantum Mania, I didn't expect it to be like this at all. He's just he feels like he's just like having so much fun, and he's just like he's eating up the the the, the scene every time he's on screen, and uh, he, I love how he's playing kind of like insane but like in this wonderful way, like delirious way. And uh, yeah. What did you think of Jonathan majors?
2: Yeah. I love him in this role. I wasn't expecting him to be this kind of uh, goofy and almost aloof with what's happening. There's, there's like a, a, a delightful cockiness about him um, where it's, it's, it's not so much, you know, arrogance. It's just, he's just been around for so long. It's just, he just knows all these things. Um, and, and, I I do wonder if this is the same vibe we'll get from uh, the other versions of Kang that we'll presumably end up seeing since that's the the major warning uh, we get in this episode is that, well, you know, now that the multiverse is in play, uh, all the different versions of him will uh, come about and try to create a multiversal war again. Uh, So I wonder if if, uh, Jonathan Majors will be playing, a lot of different versions uh, of Kang throughout movies, maybe TV shows uh, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or if uh, they'll all be somewhat similar to this version that we see as He Who Must Remain or He Who Remains.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to be different versions, which is going to be fun to see Jonathan Majors play the the same character in different kind of multiversal characters. Um, so Loki and Sylvie realize that He Who Remains is just a normal guy. Not what they were expecting at all. And they try to kill him, but they quickly realize they can't as he blimps like out of harm's way. Every time they try to kill him, like he kind of uses that. Uh, what is that thing? I was going to call it the time turner, but that's the thing from Harry Potter.
2: The time twister?
1: Time twister? Time twister. <laughs> Even after they they tried uh, to kill him, he invites them into his office and they offer him like some tea or something. And there's like. The, these weird looking windows, there's a fireplace, there's a bookshelf with all sorts of like relics from throughout history and maybe other timelines. And there's also those gold streaks all over it. And the ceiling has this beautiful skylight looking into the blue and purple galactic exterior. It's pretty cool. Um, so Loki and Sylvie believe they have won this game. They have found the man behind the curtain and he who remains finds this funny and shows them that this was all supposed to happen. He hands them the transcript of everything that has happened and is going to happen. It's how he has his temp pad loaded up with everything he needs to know to avoid being killed by them. And uh, also those like pieces of paper that have everything that has happened and is going to happen are, are the same kinds of pieces of paper that we see Loki in episode one he like signs this big pile of pages, but back then it was only like the past here. It's like the past and you know, in the future. So it's kind of cool. So, um, not only does he who remains know everything that happened and will happen, but he actually paved the road for them to be there. Um, how much do you think of that is actually the truth or actually like posturing?
2: I feel like it's probably closer to the truth because he did say that, like, he's been, you know, waiting to see if there was somebody who could, you know, essentially take his place. And so I imagine once he saw them and what they could do, that this would be, you know, an opportunity for him to finally get out of the game, as it were.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. And at one point he, like, says, I'm too old for this. This is a young man's game. And he's clearly been there for, like, all of time. <laughs> like, even though he looks like he's in his 30s, he has he uh, been there for a long time, and I'm sure he's over it. So he remains, asks Sylvie if if she trusts Loki, or is is she even capable of trusting anyone at all? And uh, you can kind of see the cracks begin beginning to form in this relationship here. Uh, he admits... His methods are deceptive, but the mission is real without the TVA existence will end in chaos. Asked who he is. He tells his guests that he's been known by many names throughout time, including a ruler, a conqueror, he who remains a jerk. So that's a reference to King, uh, King, the conqueror and some of the other different multiverse characters that might show up. Um, He tells the backstory of how this all happened, how a scientist variant of himself living on Earth during the 31st century discovered the multiverse in the comics. This is a guy named Nathaniel Richards, uh, who is related to Reed Richards. Is that correct? I think so. You tell me. I I think I don't know. I think I remember reading it. I I don't know much about the Fantastic Four, to be honest with you. That's like some some of the hole in my comic knowledge. Uh, So the universes made contact with each other, the different multiverses, and shared their tech and knowledge. And it was like kind of a peaceful, prosperous time, which, uh, by the way, have you ever seen that J.K. Simmons TV show? I forget the name of it. What was the J.K.? Do, Do you know what I'm talking about? maybe I'm looking it up right now. It was on like some network that. okay. So the show I was talking about is called uh, the show called counterpart, which had JK Simmons and he was playing multiple versions of himself. It was kind of based on this idea where he, he <laughs> like there was the different multiverses had contact each other and there was this gateway to a parallel dimension and they could, uh, the government agencies were kind of working with each other in different multiverses of themselves to like give information on, on certain individuals that are tracking because some of the stuff is the same. Um, it, it was a good show. I feel like a lot of people did not see it. Uh, it was on stars and that's probably the reason why. Um, and, uh, I mentioned Nathaniel Richards. So Nathaniel Richards was the, the father of Reed Richards. So there's that too. So, okay. Uh, where was I? So, so the sharing tech knowledge, and I have to assume that that's how the TV tech uh, TVA tech has come into being, right? Like that's how he has access to all this stuff is through all this trading of tech and knowledge th- throughout the multiverse. But,
2: yeah, I I think it's a safe bet. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah that, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So some versions of Kang had a more selfish motive, and it resulted in this multiversal war. He says that each variant fought to preserve their universe and annihilate the others, which is interesting because he's painting him out to be the hero here. He who remains is painting himself out to be a hero. But in the end, isn't that what he did? He he annihilated the other uh, universes to preserve his own?
2: I mean... I I suppose it could be argued whether he actually did it to preserve his own or if he it's one of those things where like you're the villain and you think you're doing the good thing by doing something that is somewhat heinous and it's really not a good thing. Like with Thanos, you know, wiping out half of uh, the universe, you know, to, to help the rest of the universe and where he thinks that getting rid of the multiverse and having only one timeline is better for everybody.
1: Okay, back to the story. One of the King variants encountered Eliath, a creature created from all the terrors in reality capable of consuming time and space itself. Uh, he h- harnessed the powers, ran experiments, weaponized him and ended the multiversal war. Um, and I love that moment. He's like, almost those like uh, the, from Moana, the rock, like, th- uh, like you're welcome kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the same time, as cool as this is, we're watching this in like these like three D hologram statues, like things. We've seen stuff like this before, in like I think Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume Two. I kind of wish we could have seen the cinematic version of the story.
2: Yeah, but I imagine it probably would have been pretty expensive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Also, if we see the cinematic version of the story, then we know for sure, or we, it's more concrete that what he's saying is true, and I think. Here for Sylvie and Loki, him telling it with these like holographic statues, it's there's still some like possibility that he's lying and he's yeah, telling a story, yeah, for sure. So, uh, so he says, If you think that I'm the evil dictator, wait until you meet the guy, the, the variant, he's he has way more, yeah, sorry, he has way more evil variants. He claims that he's seen every scenario and the TVA is the only solution that works but of course sylvie thinks he thinks he's a liar so what do you think brad do you think do you think the story he's telling is the the true story
2: yeah and at the very least i think that he believes you know that the tva is the best way to do it i mean and and it it makes sense you know um if since he knows about all these variants and how dangerous some of them can be you know then i feel like it it has to be, you know, true, especially considering what we see uh, in the final scene of this episode.
1: Yeah. I just wonder if this is the only way, what is going to be the solution in the end for all this, Brad, because
2: allowing the multiverse to exist, but getting rid of all the Kings.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, It's also interesting here that Sylvie is kind of a reflection of Ravana. like she's faced with this, with the truth of the situation, but she can't believe that this mission that she spent the entire, or almost all of her life on is like, can't be for nothing. Do you know what I mean? So she's unwilling to give up that mission. And I feel it's, it's interesting. It's good writing when you have this link, when you have these reflections of, of characters uh, when you have like, you know, two different characters and two different sides uh, kind of mirroring each other. And I, I think I mentioned this in the Slack channel and you mentioned someone else.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you see it in Loki and Mo- Mobius too. When Loki arrives in the TVA, he doesn't buy into the idea of the sacred timeline, uh, you know, or the timekeepers or or any of this being something that that matters. um and is in control of anything, and then on the opposite side you have Mobius, who has dedicated his entire life, you know, seemingly to the TVA and buys into it completely. Um, but then, you know, at the end here, we see Loki realizing that the sacred timeline maybe needs to be preserved, and he fights with Sylvie about you know whether or not it's the best thing to destroy he who remains or to let the sacred timeline exist and keep it in balance. Meanwhile, Mobius uh, uh, sees that the TVA has lied to him and has lost all faith in it. And, you know, uh, is trying to, to bring it down.
1: Yeah. So you're almost saying like a mirror in like reverse. Yeah. Like one of those reverse mirrors. Um, Yeah. That's cool too. Uh, So he, who remains gives them two options. They can either kill him and have infinite devils to deal with or take, or then they could take it over. So it's interesting here that um, this is what Loki has always wanted. Before the show, he wanted to rule over everyone. During the course of the show, in the first couple of episodes, he learned about how there was a power greater than the Infinity Stones, the ruler of time itself, and he wanted that. And here he is. He has his. He's had this journey that has changed him, and he has. He met this person. Uh, he he has this opportunity to do to be the one who remains but at the same time it's sad this is like a a sad castle filled with dust this man who has been there forever is like going loopy and insane and uh, he's at the top and of of this whole thing controlling everything but he's literally on the edge of insanity and he's you know uh in the previous episode he talked to the old man loki who had like a similar life of solitude and realized how lonely it was and uh in this journey he found when i want to say he found some glorious purpose in someone other than himself or or actually maybe in himself a different version of himself so i don't know i i i like uh i like this moment that he's presented with the thing that this character has always wanted and uh yeah, he can't. So, uh, so uh, yeah, He Who Remains says he can't do this anymore. He's tired. He's old. He's looked far and wide for someone to replace him, and the answer is these two Loki variants. Sylvie can't get beyond the fact what he did to her, and he tells her to grow up and points out that she's a murderer and a hypocrite. He says that they're all villains, but now is the time to do these things for a good reason. Is there ever a, a good reason to do bad? <laughs> uh,
2: I mean, villains always <laughs> seem to think that there are, there is. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. So, and with that, we hear a crackle of thunder in the background and uh, he who remains kind of like becomes even like becomes happy now because we've reached the point where the, uh, we've reached the threshold. This is where he doesn't know what is going to happen. And I love how... This character becomes even more like humble, and uh, he finally feel like you could feel he feels free at this moment. Like he, like he, he's not sticking to a script. So um, Sylvie doesn't believe him. She lunges at him with a lunge at him, but Loki holds her back. And now uh, is the point in the episode that I was kind of nervous that this was all gonna. Evolve into people fighting other superpowered people in the sky, and I'm so glad it didn't. Um, and this is also the the point that the, your article you were talking about this this whole scene. This is your favorite scene,
2: yeah. I mean this the scene is is fantastic because you like you take away you know everything that we learn and like the creation of the multiverse and and like just all the exposition elements, and this the story is still about. Loki and Sylvie, and how each of them found something in you know these alternate versions of themselves to make a connection to, and allowed them to discover something new about themselves. Uh, and so, in this scene, I, I love just how genuine the emotions are that Tom Hiddleston displays here, because he 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 very clearly has had a change of heart, and he has felt something that he for somebody that he hasn't felt before, and. I think for me, my favorite thing is that, you know, initially we talked about how it's kind of amusing that the one character that Loki finally falls in love with is a version of himself. But what we did, you know, maybe didn't think about is that with that will likely come, you know, inevitable pain. Because when you're someone like Loki and all you've ever done is betray people, then it's a pretty safe bet that you're going to end up betraying yourself. And unfortunately, that's exactly what Sylvie does here. Um, she, you know, Loki says, I don't want a throne, I just want for you to be okay. And Sylvie, you know, kisses him and she then she says, She says, But I'm not you. And so, you know, again, Loki, who has, you know, now shown, you know, his feelings and like put his heart out there, has been betrayed you know and so they're they're not necessarily back to where they used to be before and you know a, a um in you know the most basic sense but clearly loki can't be trusted and she still can't trust anybody and unfortunately it results in you know heartbreak for for the both of them because after she gets what she wants which is to finally you know get revenge for being taken from her timeline and forced to live this life in apocalypses then what is she left with and then there's even one more crushing blow for Loki where when he's returned to the TVA and, you know, he thinks that he can talk to Mobius and they can maybe stop whatever is going to happen next now that he who remains has been killed. He suddenly realizes that the friend that he thought he made that he suddenly trusted and who helped him, you know, see this different side of him and evolve now doesn't even know who he is.
1: Yeah yeah for sure and i feel like this fight as much as it's not like an exciting fight that you'd see in the marvel movies i feel like i had more invested in this fight because there's i'm you know i'm emotionally involved yeah more than it being cool because you know there's so many levels of what you're talking about like you know loki isn't just trying to stop her he doesn't want to hurt her so he can't like hurt her he's just trying to stop her sylvie's wants everything to kill the person responsible for the horrible life she's had and she's willing to kill Loki in the process so he's playing defense she's playing offense and and Loki is also so heartbroken bro- that like she doesn't believe him and she tells him to kill her and t- take the throne and you can just feel the i don't know it's just so i don't know crushing you can feel the crushing feeling that Loki has um but uh but not if you're Ben because Ben always thought that like, he was going to the turn. i just kidding. Kid- I'm kidding, Ben. Kidding. Um, so uh, at one point, he says uh, he just wants her to be okay. She drops her sword and they kiss. And uh, I was kind of like, uh, I don't know about this in this moment. It felt weird. And with that, she says she's not him and throws, her, it throws him through a time door back to the TVA. Uh so it's interesting it's also interesting here because Loki has finally experienced the backstabbing of a Loki. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of cool. Um so Sylvie stabs uh he who remains kills him or actually before he dies he says see you soon and winks. And that kind of uh, is he I'm guessing he's indicating here that not him, but another one of the variants we'll see her soon?
2: Yeah, of course. It's all, yeah, it's, yeah. All, it's all about the variants.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, also, yeah, I guess everything's a variant, but I was going to say maybe he sent Ravona back in time to his previous past to make him do something so that the he who remains that we know here that there would be a branching timeline off of that so that he could come back. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I guess that would be a variant, but yeah, it would that, be a variant of him.
2: True, but also then it also like comes, goes back to the idea of like why would he want to do that if he wants to get out anyway? You know.
1: True. Well, I guess yeah. I guess maybe he, he's only yeah, but he already made that decision before all this happened. I was gonna say maybe he made that decision to stop because he knew, you know, he offered them two two solutions. He offered them, you know, let him stay there and rule or you guys could take over for me. And they took option three, which was kill him and no one's going to ruin it. The world's going to fall apart. But I guess he made the decision of giving Ravona that data way before that. So yeah, maybe that doesn't fit in with things. Okay. So, um, so Sylvie drops to the floor and you get the sense that she doesn't get the satisfaction that she's been looking her entire life for. Um, we, we see the timeline outside branching into hundreds of different timelines, uh, like a tree of light, which has many branches. Uh, Mobius and B-15 stare at the monitor at the TVA, showing all the branches going past the red line, and Mobius explains that there's no turning back now. Loki runs th- through the TVA, through the record library, where he finds Mobius and B-15. They don't know how to stop the branching, and Loki yells that they can't stop it. He explains what happened, freeing the timeline by killing who he who remains. And then we get the shocking cliffhanger that Mobius doesn't recognize Loki. He thinks he works at the TVA. We realize that he was not sent... Well, actually, I'm a little confused. So, so he was not sent. He was sent back to the TVA, but he wasn't sent back to the TVA in the Prime Six One Six timeline. He was sent back to a different TVA. Is that correct?
2: That's what it seems like. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, Loki notices instead of the three huge Timekeeper statues, there's just one statue, and it's that of King the Conqueror. It's our first look at the actual King the Conqueror and his like outfits. And uh, it's, then, then there's a, a scene, or not a scene, like a little shot in the mid-credit scene that shows Loki's case file getting stamped with Loki will return to, return in season two. So I have, to, I have a bunch of questions here, Brad. Well, first of all, I want to say that the, the ending here is a great, like Planet of the Apes style ending. Yeah. It's a great, great cliffhanger. Uh, what, do, what did you think of the ending?
2: I was definitely surprised i uh, wasn't wasn't expecting uh, that little twist or for there to be a second season of the show. Although I will say I started to suspect that there might be once we started seeing like the typical kind of dangling threads that you normally see in finales for shows, you know, such as Ravana going off and having her own mission um and and whatnot. So I, 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 that made me think, oh, how are they going to resolve that? Like when's that gonna come into play? And so it makes sense when you see that they're doing. Uh, a second season,
1: okay. My, 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 one of my questions, Brad. I'm not sure if you're gonna have an answer for this. So, if the TVA exists in many multiverses, who is controlling it? Because I was the impression. I was under the impression that he who remains, who's in the citadel at the end of time, is the one that's like pulling all the strings, yeah, but there's only one of him, yeah. So, how is there one of him? Or how is there more of him? Because if every TVA would need one of him, right?
2: I don't think that there are multiple TVAs. I think there's only one TVA. Because as they've mentioned, the, the TVA kind of exists outside of time, and time doesn't work the same way there that it does, you know, in the, in the oh, actual timeline. Okay. And so that, and when he's talking about multiple versions of himself, that's they're coming from the the new branches of the timeline, due to the multiverse forming.
1: So you're saying the TVA something happened in the past now that has changed the TVA to the point of Mobius never having met Loki and Kang is now in control of it instead of the timekeepers. Oh, I see
2: what you're saying now. Yeah, that is that is a, an interesting question to think about.
1: So is there another Mobius that has met Loki and I'm yeah, guessing there is.
2: Yeah, because it can't be that it changed the past because Avengers Endgame established that that's not how time travel works, where if you change Mm. the past, it doesn't change like your future or or something like that. So maybe with the creation of the multiverse, there suddenly is multiple TVAs, even though there wasn't before.
1: I'm just curious. How does one do each of them have their own person at the Citadel controlling them? Cause I thought there was only one Citadel outside of time at the end of time.
2: I mean, to, to be fair, there technically still could be only one because, hmm. because much like the TVA, the, it looks as if the the Citadel at the end of time also exists outside of, you know, the flow of time itself.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah, it branched off after he created everything I get it. Yeah. I, I'm hoping the people out there are listening or even understanding what I'm asking. But uh, I, th- I think it all makes sense. It's a little confusing and they don't go into the questions in the show. If, rightfully so, because I think once you get people thinking about this, it becomes very confusing. But yeah. Oh, okay. So let's dive into the speculation. Uh, I know you wrote a whole article about this. Uh, how does this ending fit into the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe?
2: This is. I mean, we've talked about this before because we know what's coming down the pipeline as far as Marvel Studios projects are concerned. And it seems like this will have the biggest ramifications for the movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, the creation of the multiverse allows for a lot of different plot elements to to come to light and for things to happen that we have heard about for a long time uh, with regards to at least three specific movies that are coming here in the next uh year year or two uh and so spider-man no way home uh we know dr strange is going to play a part in that and there have been uh rumors but not confirmation from anyone officially at marvel that the movie will feature uh both the previous spider-man from uh toby mcguire's spider-man and Andrew Garfield's the amazing spider-man franchises and villains from their respective franchises which uh so far include doc ock uh, um played by alfred molina Electro by Jamie Foxx and there have been rumblings um, of potentially seeing others Um, for now. I'm not going to say who that other villain is because I think that's something that's going to be confirmed by a trailer, hopefully uh, because this is, this is going to be the basic plot of the movie uh, and involve Spider-Man dealing with uh, the existence of the multiverse and finding out that there are other universes where other Spider-Men and bad guys exist. Um, yeah, we,
1: we we should say that it's not just rumors. Like Alfred Molina has gone done interviews where he's basically admitted he's in the movie. Yeah,
2: but but everyone else has, at least as far as we know, has yeah. done a good job of, of <laughs> keep, keeping things under wraps. Um, so because because Marvel hasn't come out and confirmed any of this, this has only come from like trade reports. They're they're keeping details about Spider Man No Way From Home very close to the vest.
1: Yeah, and that comes out in December 2021. Mm-hmm. And then in March of 2022, we have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness.
2: And, you know, obviously the title itself, you know, deals with the multiverse. We, <laughs> we knew this was something we were getting to. Um, but I think something specifically that will come into play here also ties into WandaVision. Because uh, the credit scene for WandaVision uh, found Elizabeth Olsen um, as Wanda Maximoff. And we see her um, in normal human form uh, just relaxing in a cabin secluded in the mountains having a cup of tea but then we also see an astral projection of her as scarlet witch looking at the book called the dark hold that we saw in wandavision and she's clearly um, trying to study more about her abilities and like these spells that are within the dark hold that will allow her to really tap into her full power as Scarlet Witch. And then at the very end of that scene, she suddenly hears her twin sons, Billy and Tommy yelling for her help. So uh, my guess is that now that the multiverse exists, her twins, which were previously only manifestations of her power within the hex now actually exist somewhere in a different universe. And they're calling for uh, her help. And she will likely be trying to get them back in Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. And I don't know if that's something that we'll see her, clashing with Doctor Strange who might try to prevent that or if it will see him trying to help her in some way. Uh, But I feel like that's going to be a big thing for for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness.
1: And Doctor Strange is going to be in Spider-Man too right?
2: Yeah yeah he's supposed to kind of be like the uh, still a mentor figure for uh, Peter Parker in the absence of Tony Stark but also since Uh, Spider-Man's on the run because his secret identity was revealed in that credit scene from Far From Home, it sounds like he um, is going to take solace in the Sanctum Sanctorum along with MJ and Ned who are labeled as uh, Spider-Man's accomplices.
1: Yeah, and if you're dealing with multiverses, then maybe you go to Doctor Strange to help you out with that. Um, Thor Love and Thunder comes out in May. Black Panther Wakanda Forever comes out in July 2022 in marvel's november 2022 in ant-man and the wasp quantum mania that's the other one we're thinking is going to be related to this that's in february 2023
2: yeah and this one is you know is obvious too because we've we already heard jonathan majors was playing kang the conqueror in this movie um now we're left wondering exactly you know how this version uh, or variant of kang the conqueror ties into ant-man and the wasp and the, the one hint that we have is not only the title, but also there's a a very s- um small background detail in one of the shots at um, when Janet Van Dyne is rescued by Hank Pym within the quantum realm, where when they're leaving, in the background you can see the silhouette of what looks like some kind of quantum city that exists within the quantum realm. So Janet Van Dyne has been down there for a long time, uh, you know, we, even though time works differently, you know, between the quantum realm. And the real world, she was obviously stuck there for a while. And there's some kind of civilization there. So uh, our, our best bet is probably that Kane the Conqueror maybe is part of that civilization, potentially the leader of it. Maybe he's been trapped there for a while. Uh, maybe he suddenly has a vendetta now that Janet Van Dyne escaped and maybe he's still stuck there. Um, he could easily still be a scientist like the Nathaniel Richards uh, origin story, who maybe discovered that he was able to tap into, um, you know, the quantum realm. And, you know, like I said, got stuck there. Uh, so that's, that's our best guess as far as how that will work. But obviously this dealing with the quantum realm and how time travel came about because of the quantum realm and Avengers end game, there's clearly some connections there.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think production weekly says that Loki season two is gearing up to film later this year in like December of twenty. 21 but of course the you can't always take what production weekly says as um as true but if they do when would that come out i guess that would come out sometime next year late next year 20 I, I would assume 22
2: I, I would guess that it would probably come out around the same time that it did now right
1: i don't know because the marvels is scheduled for what november 2022 I guess it could come out before then, but so Wait, whatever. They, well, you,
2: well, you said it's starting later this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then I, I wouldn't anticipate that it would come out in 2022. I would say like, I guess maybe early 2023, like spring 2023.
1: Well, ant in the Wasp is February 2023. 2023.
2: Yeah. So I'm thinking, you, I feel like it would come out after that, right?
1: I don't know. Do you think this is going to feed into Ant-Man and the Wasp, or do you think they need to resolve some stuff before Ant-Man and the Wasp, or is it, because I guess. it's Kang and it's not he who remains, like, maybe it's not even as connected as we think it is?
2: I mean, I feel like this will, this sets into motion, like, the the rise of a variety of Kangs, you would yeah. think, so maybe... Um... Yeah, I don't know, because I'm I'm just trying to think. I don't know. Do you know when they shot the first season of Loki?
1: I don't know, and I'm I'm guessing because of the pandemic.
2: It'd be hard to figure out anyway.
1: Well, I mean, I could look it up, but I'm guessing that, like, threw some wrenches in the thing, so, like, you can't really... I'm
2: just thinking that, like, it usually takes them, what, like, two years to get a movie finished? Yeah. So, we're with Loki, we're talking about... There were six episodes, around 45 minutes each, so we're talking you know, like at least two and a half, three movie lengths.
1: Yeah. I think Boba Fett, like Book of Boba Fett started uh, late last year and is coming out late this year. So it's almost like a year later, maybe a little bit more than a year. So, I mean, that that's the timeline they're able to accomplish. I'm, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see. They haven't announced a date yet. Uh <laughs> What... What do you think season two is going to be about? Like, I mean, obviously they have to, I mean, do they have to correct the multiverse? I guess you're saying that the, the, the answer to this, this problem is not going back to the TVA and correcting the multiverses. It's just getting rid of the bad eggs that are like the, the conqueror Kings.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also I don't necessarily know what that would mean for Loki season two or like what they're, yeah, what they would be doing. I, yeah, yeah. I have no idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know either. I, I, I can't even, I, I don't even have any theories like where is Mobius? Does Mobius still exist? The one that we, I mean, the version that Loki has met in the show.
2: I would assume so. Cause I can't imagine that that version of the TVA is somehow gone now.
1: Yeah. Does, do you think Sylvia is going to realize the, the the disastrous mistake that she made?
2: Um, sh- yeah. What, but as far as like, you know, I, I'm also curious. Yeah. What happens with her next? Cause now obviously she's accomplished what she has to do. Like, does she still have a place in, in the story? Can there be reconciliation between her and Loki?
1: I'm also wondering, like, uh, the next Marvel TV series that's coming to Disney Plus is What If, which we saw a trailer for, we talked about last week. And I almost wonder if this, if that series can actually fit into the MCU continuity in some way of, like, that being, being the multiverses that this has opened up. Like, you know, we're getting all these scenarios, but maybe we're getting a glimpse into, like, the the weird worlds and changes that could have happened. It could, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's going too far. I'm not sure if they're going to count a animated series as like Canon, but Uh, um,
2: I actually think that it's, it's possible that that could very well be the case. You know, it's, I think it depends on, I guess what the watchers role is in that series, but it does seem like the intention of what if is to kind of play out, you know, the Marvel cinematic universe as if it, you know, were entirely different. I, I was surprised that that most recent trailer that we talked about in a previous episode had so many interconnected elements similar to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I wonder if there is something to it about how this will kind of be a, an illustration or example of exactly you know what the multiverse means and will will have some kind of tie to what's going on with the the live action Marvel movies.
1: Yeah, we'll have to see. Okay, if you have any theories. Any speculation that we didn't touch on? Did you see anything that we missed? You can write us at peter at slash and please leave your general name and geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. If you are enjoying this series of podcasts, if you like slash Film daily, please head on over to our Apple podcast page. It's linked in the show notes and write us like, you know, a sentence, give us five stars, uh this podcast as you know is published every weekday on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you tomorrow